Hello, and welcome to Thrive, a podcast that gives you strategies and inspiration to help you live your best life. Learn from us, two cancer survivors, as we show you how we don't just survive, but thrive. Hi, I'm Dara Kurtz, creator of CrazyPerfectLife.com, a place to go to help you find meaning each day, and author of the book, Crush Cancer, the book I needed when I heard those terrifying words, you have cancer, available on Amazon. Hi, I'm Garth Callahan. I am a seven-ton cancer thriver. But more importantly, I am also the original napkin notes dad. I've been writing notes to my daughter, Emma, and sticking them into her lunch ever since kindergarten. We love introducing you to people who are out there thriving. And today we are so excited to bring you Linda Walters, author of Voices of Cancer. Linda knows firsthand what it's like to hear the terrifying words, you have cancer, diagnosed with stage four terminal mantle cell lymphoma in August of 2016. Welcome, Linda. We are so happy to have you. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. So everyone has a story. And we want to hear yours. Share with us the story of how you got that terrible diagnosis. Well, actually, I think I was sick for quite some time before I was actually diagnosed. And I say that because I was extremely active, very outgoing with the things that I did as far as I was a ballroom and a swing dancer. Yeah, it was so much fun. Very, very outgoing as far as horseback riding, whitewater rafting. I mean, I just, I did it all, but I kept getting chronically sick without really being sick. In other words, I felt like I had the flu maybe every couple of months and I was just out for an entire weekend, maybe sleeping 18 hours a day. And then my stomach started getting bad to where I couldn't eat. I was down to five foods. I took out red meat. I took out dairy. I took out sugar. I took out preservatives. Nothing worked. And I was eating as clean as any person could. And I was still not able to digest very well. Something wasn't right. My father passed away. And two weeks later, these lumps on the side of my neck just popped out. And I looked like Frankenstein on one side of my neck. And so I went to the doctor and she actually said, well, you know, they're still within normal limits. Let's watch and wait and see what wow. happens. What's a normal limit? Apparently <laughs> anything under a centimeter is considered normal. And yet I was in such good shape and so thin because I was sick and not being able to eat properly that, I mean, it literally just stuck out the side of my neck. I had a row of lymph nodes that just stuck out. So Then I started feeling like there was something stuck in my throat and I kept clearing my throat and coughing and and feeling like it was closing up. And so I kind of bypassed the regular doctors and just went straight to an ENT. She looked in my throat and said, wow, your tonsils are huge. And I said, that's really unfortunate because I don't have tonsils. Wow. Yeah. And then I'm sure as you all appreciate Then the tests started and it was a matter of two weeks before I was diagnosed with lymphoma and took another 30 days to get the diagnosis of mantle cell lymphoma. It's a very uncommon, rare, especially in women and especially younger women. So how old were you when you, this whole thing happened? I was 49. Okay. And when you started not feeling good, 
were you going to the doctors then or were you just kind of like, okay, I'm not feeling good, but I'm just going to rest. I mean, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. I'm pretty much an anti-doctor person. (laughs) Okay. I've never been sick. I've had babies and I had an orthopedic issue with my knee and that's it. I've, I've just really never had anything. I would be lucky to get a cold once a year, maybe, you know, I just wasn't sick. So I was able to put a Band-Aid on my symptoms, if you will. And so I just kept putting the Band-Aids on because I was the healthiest person I knew. And I'm not exaggerating about that. I exercised five mornings a week and I danced up to five nights a week. And when I say danced, I mean up to three hours a night. I was in impeccable shape. I ate kale before it ever even hit the news. I <laughs> I mean, seriously, I hadn't had a soda in 30 years. I didn't smoke, didn't drink, didn't, you know, I, what could be wrong with me? I'm Absolutely. laughing. I'm laughing because I said a lot of the same things that you're saying when I was diagnosed. And so were you angry when you were diagnosed? Because, you know, you're, you're thinking, why me? Why did this happen to me? I'm doing all the right things. You know, everybody asks me that. And sometimes I think people don't actually believe when I tell them, no, I really wasn't angry. I feel that we all have a lot in life. And for whatever reason, this is what I've got. I had one day, one day where I found myself on the floor of my shower screaming to God, just what the hell have you done to me? Just one day. And then I just picked myself up and said, well, this is it. I can either go through this and be, you know, a horrible person and a terrible patient, or I can find grace and find a way to do something to make it all matter. And that's why you're on the Thrive Podcast today, because of what you just said, We admire that and we like to introduce our community to people that have that same attitude and we want to hear what you're doing. What did you end up doing? I have a question first. So when you heard those words from when when you started seeing the doctors about this issue before you were actually sent in for testing, did they say something like, oh, this could be something, this could be nothing? I found that initially my doctors were like, ah, you know, there are a lot of symptoms that could, you know, lead to something and we don't know what that something is. Let's not go to the worst case scenario. But then they would say things to me like, but go to the doctor right now. Go to the specialist today. If you can't get in, call me and we'll get you in. Actually, that didn't happen to me. And I think the reason it didn't happen was because I had dozens of lymph nodes that were palpable by the time I actually went to the doctor. So yes, my very first interaction with the doctor when she said, oh, it's not that bad, you know, it's not beyond the scope of normal, if you will. So I did have that, but that only lasted about six weeks until I could literally feel dozens myself all over my clavicle, my both sides of my neck, my throat. I I mean, my lymph nodes were out of control. So what they actually said to me was something along the lines of, and this is going to sound terrible to anybody that's ever had cancer, but something along the lines of, 
it would be a better diagnosis if it was thyroid cancer. Because of the thyroid cancers, it's my understanding that all but about one or two of those diagnoses, they can remove the thyroid, give you replacement, and you go on with your life. And my cancer was absolutely involved with my thyroid. That was the number one place it was. And so there was a really big conversation about thyroid cancer. But they, from the get-go, the C word was in the differential. So but what what was your treatment like? Hell. <laughs> of, oh. Yeah, but yeah. of course, as <laughs> as we understand. Put it out there. Yeah. So I live in a pretty small place. Boise, Idaho has, I would say, around 200,000 people as the capital of the state. I think our entire state might have a million people all told. When I met my hematology oncologist, the first words out of his mouth were, you have mantle cell lymphoma. The prognosis is an average of five years. You are too young. I can't do anything for you except the standard of care. You need to go elsewhere. And here's a girl that had never been sick. And I mean, my jaw is open. And I'm like, wait a minute, what about thyroid cancer? <laughs> can't we just take this out? He explained to me what was going on, and he then helped me find a trial. And so I began commuting from Boise to Houston to go to MD Anderson and commuted sometimes once a week for months. And I got onto a trial down there. I was number 62 out of 120, I believe. And they gave everybody the exact same treatment. Obviously, that's what a trial is. So I, at the time, weighed under 100 pounds, and they gave me the exact same dose as the gentleman I knew that weighed 300 pounds. And it tore me up. So I'm taking these pills, these chemo pills every day, and I'm getting infusions on top of it, immunotherapy infusions. And I did this for eight months. And what it did was it physically, literally blew my joints up. This drug that, you know, was supposed to not be that harmful to you. Literally, there were times when my jaw would be so swelled up, it would move forward and I couldn't close my mouth. There were times when I could not walk because my joints were so inflamed. Literally, you could see them. I would go in for ultrasounds because they thought I had blood clots in my legs because they were twice the size, you know, that kind of thing. So when I got done with eight months of that, then I started inpatient chemotherapy. And my chemotherapy was five to seven days inpatient. And I tell people this and they're like, no, chemotherapy is not like that. It's six or seven hours. And I'm like, no, I would check in on a Monday morning and they would give me a cocktail of multiple drugs for five to six, seven days. Then I would get an A and then a B. So on the odd treatment months, I would get the A cycle and then I would get the B cycle on the even treatment months. And that went on until, so now we're a year into my treatment. So then for the next two years, I actually had immunotherapy treatment every other month, finishing just last Tuesday. Wow. Congratulations on that. You have been through hell and back. Yeah. Our 
listeners can't see you, obviously, but I am seeing this adorable woman who is smiling and so joyful. So clearly you are taking what you've been through and making every day work for you as well. And I, I think that's, you know, like you said earlier, we all have that choice. So what do you think, how have you changed since going through that? I am absolutely a completely different person. There is not one thing about me that did not change. My husband and I were only married just over a year when I was diagnosed. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, you know, that it's funny because he's probably the best gauge. And what he says to me all the time is, you are completely different than when I met you. Now, to put this into perspective, I've never been a bad person. I, <laughs> I, I really, I've never had a speeding ticket, okay? I color within the line. I yeah. work in law firm. I mean, I, yeah. you know, it's like I did this, then I did that, and I did it all in the right path. And, you know, it's just, I am a rule follower. I've been a good person. I've always volunteered. And I mean, I really volunteer. I cook for the homeless shelter for years, every week. I mean, you name it, I've done it. And then I got cancer. And it was, without a doubt, the best thing that ever happened to me. And this is one of those statements, again, where people either think, oh, you're just puffing or, you know, there's no way. But I have had a complete cancer shift, a perspective clarity that whatever it takes, I will not let go of this. The world is only as complicated as I make it. And it, you don't have to like me. It's okay. We can go our separate ways. And, you know, I have actually found myself releasing people out of my life. Maybe they couldn't release me, but I needed to release them. I have tolerance to a fault now. It really doesn't matter what you do. It's okay. I mean, even if you're absolutely downright mean to me, there must be a reason for it. And I'm going to look for that because life really is that good. And I could not be happier. I love everything you just said. And Garth and I 100% agree. And I think, you know, I don't think we've ever really Garth actually had that conversation. We've had, I don't know, but I live my life so much better today because of hearing those words, you have cancer. And that's exactly what you're saying. And Garth, you feel that way as well, right? I mean, that doesn't mean that it's not hard and we didn't ask for this diagnosis and we would never bring, wish it on anyone. Exactly. But the clarity that you get because of it is a definite something good out of something bad. So just to put things in perspective, I am now in day 2033 of continuous treatment. So 2033 days. To be specific. To, to be very specific. <laughs> Not that I'm counting, but I actually, I, I had to calculate so the number. Been, for... It's been about seven years. Well, no, it's uh, six and a half or so. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I've been in continuous treatment and I was diagnosed with cancer two years before I started continuous treatment. So there's a lot of my life that is still the same in terms of, you know, I get up, I go to work, 
I, you know, I do the, the standard household chore things and go out with friends and whatnot. But when I'm not being like the regular Garth, I'm absolutely uh, cancer Garth, which is I'm very purposeful. I'm trying to make a difference in what I do and how I say things. And I want to encourage other cancer patients around the world. And I have my own personal projects that I'm working on that I probably wouldn't think about devoting any time to if I was just regular Garth. And like you, my body is completely different compared to what it was pre-cancer. And it will never, you know, there is nothing that's going back the way that it was. But, you know, you said something and it reminds me of a napkin note, which wasn't going to be part of the discussion today. But because you said it, I looked it up really quickly. So I, I write notes to my daughter. I've been doing it ever since she was in kindergarten. I stick them in her lunch and I even still do it now that she is almost 20 and in college. And I wrote this note back in 2014. And it's a quote from Byron Katie. It's not your job to like me. It's mine. And that, yeah, that is so freeing for cancer patients that you can kind of, you can do what's right for you. And if it's not right for others, that's okay. You just let them go. You know, you mentioned something else. You just finished your treatment. And I know that's amazing to be done, but I, are you a little bit scared to I'm be done terrified. as well? I'm terrified. I started going back to a support group just before finishing treatment. The last few months I've started going back because I don't know how to be a non-patient patient. Yeah, I think for me, when the doctor said, okay, Dara, you're done with treatment. It's time to go back to living your life. And that's for me when I got terrified. And that's a very hard moment for a lot of cancer patients because you feel kind of protected under the hospital umbrella, if you will. And, you know, when you're going through a treatment plan, you're working on it. You're actively doing something to deal with it. And you kind of feel like a sitting duck, if you will. You know, that's when you've got to find a way to make peace with what happened so that it doesn't get in the way of everyday life. So I love the fact that you are going to a support group. I think that's amazing that you're giving yourself permission to, to lean in and be around those who can work through that with you. I had very similar anxiety last year. Last year, my daily oral chemo stopped working. And coincidentally, I had taken a break. So about once a quarter, I would take a week off. And so I had just started my week off, had gone in to see my oncologist. And he said, yeah, you know what? We're going to start this other type of therapy for you. So we also would like to potentially get you into some trials. So please, you know, stop taking your daily oral chemo. And we want to make sure that you're clear for 60 days and then maybe we can get you into this trial. And I had just stopped a few days before just for the break. And all of a sudden it was, it was worse than a bandaid being ripped off. It was like, Oh, wait a minute. You just took away my security blanket. And I don't know how to be a patient without taking this every day. And, you know, to be honest and Dara, you know, you knew me during this treatment. It was the worst treatment. I mean, I was sick all the time and I should have been happy and joyful to give it up right away. And it just, I felt like 
the rug had been pulled out from under me and I thought, oh, I, I don't even know what I'm going to do now. And again, I did engage in therapy uh, pretty intense because I was so confused and I felt lost. And I would encourage all of our listeners to really evaluate if you're if you are a cancer patient and you if you're one year clear or five years clear or you're in the middle of therapy or you've just been diagnosed, whether it's a group session or individual sessions, you really need an outlet because to be honest, your spouse doesn't get it. Right? Your best friend doesn't get it. They can absolutely be there and support you and hold you and do everything right, but they still don't get it. I I like to say it doesn't matter how right you are, you're never going to be right enough in regard to this because you just don't get it. And I, I tell my husband that all the time and I'm on watch and wait and we know what that, I, I mean, that's just like, okay, when is the shoe going to fall? And nobody has gotten out of my kind of cancer alive. And so so what do you do with that knowledge? What do you do? Like this morning when you got up, how do you not let that get in the way of your day? Honestly, and here's another one of those. I am always surprised when I wake up. <laughs> I mean, it's like, really? I get another day? I'm blown away. I'm excited. And it's like, cool, I'm, I'm up. I'm out of bed. I'm standing on my own. I don't need a cane today. Life is good, you know, and it's living with bringing in that gratitude. Yes. And it's, I find that it's a struggle sometimes when someone stubs their toe or gets a cold and they're, you know, anguishing over it. And, you know, my husband made a comment today about a blemish and I, I laughed and I said, do you remember when I was bald and had boils on my face? <laughs> you know, and, and I said, not to diminish what you're going through, but it could be so much worse. And yeah. we, we kind of check and balance ourselves, you know, and just to remind each other, because I go through the same thing. I mean, I'm suddenly getting a little bit more vain than I have been for the last three years, because the last three years, I mean, it's lucky to have hair. Yeah. It's lucky to have eyebrows, you know, it's lucky to, you know, I complain about, oh, I need to tweeze. And it's like, wait, I get to tweeze, you know, it's, it's just a little shift and it really, it just makes it all different. I have a friend from church and we were recently doing some heavy lifting. We were emptying out a building that was going to be demolished and then rebuilt. And we had to put a bunch of our stuff in storage. And honestly, the building was in disrepair. Uh, to be, It should have been condemned years and years ago. And so we were having to make hard decisions on do we save this? Do we toss it? And because I have a pickup truck, I was part of the moving crew. And as we were taking some things out, my friend said, oh, yeah, my tennis elbow is really acting up. And he started to complain. And I just gave him this look like and he suddenly realized what he was saying. But I came back with, hey, look, you know, look, please, please, please do not take that. I'm trying to compare my cancer to your tennis elbow. Everybody has this pile of crap in their lives. And I choose to do this because a lot of times somebody will, they'll start to complain about an ailment that they have. And then they get this look of sheer panic on their face. Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm just about to complain to Garth about my ingrown toenail or whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I always say, look, you know, it's, everybody has this pile of crap and sometimes it's really visible. Sometimes it's invisible. My pile of crap's cancer, your pile of crap's whatever, but let's not compare because crap is still crap. 
So this episode of the podcast is sponsored by the Crush Cancer online course, a 10-module online program that you can watch from your home. It's little videos with worksheets that go along with each module. It is regularly $197, but with your coupon code THRIVE, you will receive 50% off, and that means you will get the whole course for $99. The 10 modules talk about things such as you didn't ask for cancer, but now we have to deal with it, to thinking about yourself as a survivor, establishing a mantra, physical and emotional changes, fear versus faith, creating a daily self-care practice, and so many more things. You can check it out by going to crazyperfectlife.com and clicking on the Crush Cancer online course. So Linda, I want to hear about Voices of Cancer, and I want to hear about how did it happen? Voices of Cancer. Okay. Voices of Cancer is obviously very dear to my heart. So when I was done with my trial and done with the actual inpatient chemo and then just on the maintenance, I was depleted, completely exhausted mentally, emotionally, physically. I could hardly walk up a flight of stairs and I didn't know when that was going to get better. I had chemo brain so bad I would walk around with a little notepad and write things down that people were saying because I, honest to God, could not remember. I'm a pretty chatty person in case you haven't noticed. I kind of stopped talking because it was like I had had a stroke because the word searching problem was so great for me. I couldn't get your name out. I could hear it in my head. I could not get the word to hit my tongue and I was embarrassed. And so I started to self isolate. I stopped, you know, going out. I stopped seeing people and things were not good. And then I was in my doctor's office. He was running a little late. Surprise. Um, I, I saw a magazine. (laughs) Oh, you caught that. I saw a magazine. I was thumbing through it and I saw a camp called epic experience in Colorado, you know, for any adult cancer patient, didn't matter how long out you were, you could go if your doctor signed off and and you were, you know, you were picked because there's hundreds of applicants every year. So I applied nine days before one of the camps, they had a cancellation. Someone had gotten sick, I assume. And they said, Hey, can you make it up? Absolutely. I'm on board. So I go to this camp an adventure camp thinking, okay, I used to be this person. Can I find it within me to be that person again? So I meet 10, 11 other survivors, plus the, the nurse, the doctor, the, you know, et cetera. And they're, they've all had cancer and we have the most raw, honest conversations. We break out into the small groups. And I mean, without your caregiver there, you are able to really talk and really bond and really tell the fears of dying, the fear of what's the world going to look like without me, the fear of, did I make a difference? The fear of, is this coming back? The fear of, when am I going to feel the same? Am I ever going to have sex again? I mean, everything came out in this camp. And again, I don't have much of a memory at that time. So I'm writing everything down. And, you know, we're out on the river and we're doing all this fun stuff and I'm still writing this stuff down. I'm like, oh, my God, where's my notebook? You know, Mm -hmm. I'm writing down, writing down. One of the last nights there, somebody said to me, my God, what are you doing, writing a book? And I'm like, well, maybe. 
And I said, what do you guys think about, and I start asking the really hard questions. Tell me some of the things that really annoy you from people that don't have cancer. Oh my gosh, you should have heard the barrage of things. But the interesting thing, it didn't matter the sex, the origin, the age, the, it didn't matter. Ethnicity, everybody felt the same. Everybody was going through the exact same thing. And it was just so non-discriminative. And I started seeing this pattern of, wait a minute, we all have these fears. We all have this feeling that nobody understands us. We all have, you know, these things we wish or we want or we like or, you know, things like that. And so I just started and I had journaled through my my journey and the response on my written journal was incredible. People said truly the most humbling things I had ever read about me in my life. Things like reading your journal has brought me closer to God. I mean, you know, who, who hears stuff like that? I, I was so blown away. I was so moved. Things like, you have to put this out there. People need to know what this is really about. So I took my little notebook and I took all of that courage that was given to me from my journal and I wrote Voices of Cancer. And I, I talked to dozens of cancer patients and got their input and just put it in a book. I love this. I'll be honest. I had this idea sometime around my, I don't know, third cancer diagnosis, maybe. You're kind of new to the Thrive Podcast. I'm number seven right now. But to be honest, I just didn't have the energy and I didn't have the resources in terms of how do I get other people's voices? Because to be honest, I was struggling with my own voice. And I think it's beautiful because and this is actually, Dara, a, a podcast topic that we need to surface in the next uh, couple of episodes. Cancer, I feel, has been very fractured in the United States, right? We all have our colored ribbons. There are certain walks. There's certain runs. There's whatever, right? But the challenge with that is that we're putting ourselves in groups and, and to a certain extent, isolating ourselves from the other groups. Yeah, that's actually really well said because it's not about a pink t-shirt it's about what people are actually going through and facing and people are dying and you know how we can help people and bring awareness so i, I think that's really really important garth you're right yeah. so what was linda one of the biggest takeaways after talking to all those people in terms of inspiration you know, I guess one of the biggest takeaways was that they were truly not giving up, that they had figured out that, like myself, this was their lot in life. And there's always going to be that section of people that are just grumpy and ornery, and it doesn't matter. You're never going to get through to them. Well, that's okay. Those are the people that I just smile at and say good day and walk away because I, I don't have the energy, nor do I have the time. And my, my new mantra is don't waste my time. Like I said, it's okay not to like me. You can say whatever you want. Just be honest, be open, just 
come to the table and be authentic. Yes. And I love that you said that. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I felt from going through cancer is that my patience for someone who's not real is really not existent anymore. And I love that you said that be authentic, be your beautiful self. So is that something that you kind of saw as a commonality when you were talking to everyone, that everyone sort of wanted to stand in their truth, if you will? They wanted yes. to be who they are? Yes, and that was not always my truth. And yeah. it was not always my happiness. And it was not always my understanding. Some people to this day are still as peeved as you can imagine that they have cancer and they just can't get past that. But that's their truth and that's their reality and they're, they're being authentic. The downside to that is for most of those people, they don't look like they have cancer anymore. So their peers and their family are like, when are you going to get over this? When are we done talking about this? You look great. You're back to work. Well, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you, you know, just move on that's yesterday's news i get that all the time and, and i i've learned to i don't even remotely take offense to it but people will come up to me and they they assume that i don't have cancer they don't know that i still do monthly treatments that i still have three tumors in my body that i had brain surgery last fall i've kind of learned to just let it go when they say oh but you look so good and you know sometimes i might respond with yeah but i'm a hot mess on the inside or or whatever but but you're right it's it's so and again i feel that because i was there for a long time i really struggled with my lot in life as you said it i felt cheated and i i really felt cheated for my family and i was really angry and really bitter and it wasn't until i realized how bad of a husband and dad i had become and yet my family was still allowing me to, they gave me grace and they didn't really call me out on it. And it, it took a long time. And and it reminds me, it, again, I'm going back to the napkin notes. I swear I didn't plan this. There's, there's one that I love, which is the important thing about your lot in life is whether you use it for parking or building. Yeah. And you've clearly that, used it for building. That is like the best quote ever for talking to Linda, because Linda, you are so using what you've been through to shine a bright light out there in the world. And we love that so much. So what is something, because I know your book also um, really talks about what people who are supporting people who are going through cancer can learn. So can you give us maybe just a couple of things that you learned that you feel caregivers or um, family members who have someone who they love going through cancer, what they can do to help them? Sure. This will touch a little bit on what we talked about just a few minutes ago as well. I think the number one thing coming from a woman having cancer, please do not assume everybody is pink. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, because we're not. And so that's something that, you know, when I wasn't in the cool kids cancer group of having breast cancer, I was already over in the dunce corner. And, you know, I heard it over and over and saw it time and time again. Oh, breast? No. Oh, well, I don't know what to say to you then. You felt so, very isolated. 
unbelievably isolated. Yeah. And I did not realize how marginalized cancer patients are. And the reason for the book is to educate, dispel fear and promote positive conversation. So when you ask me what can people learn from this or what could I you know, offer for caregivers and support, that would be a few things right off the bat. One of them is be conscientious that not everybody has the same cancer. Also to be aware that the kitschy little sayings like you've got this and, you know, stay strong. I mean, we have no choice. We do have this. And we either go to that appointment, which you consider strong, or we die. So, you know, it's like some of those sayings need to just stay slogans on a T-shirt. We would rather hear, I don't know what to say to you. I'm afraid I'm going to offend you. Can you give me some parameters? And I don't know about you two, but I would say, ask me anything, anything at all. I even wrote a letter to my friends that I published for them called A Letter from the Dying Girl because my tribe fell away. Mm. I called them all together in a conference room and we're having lunch and I said, where are you? Why aren't you here with me? We've been through everything. Kids, husbands, you know, I mean, jobs, you name it. Where are you? I don't know what to say to you. I'm afraid to hurt your feelings. I'm scared you're going to die. And it was like, wow, ding, ding, ding. I need to educate you. So for caregivers and support people, we are just as scared as you. We're more scared. And it's okay. Just talk to us honestly. Let us know your fears. Find out when our doctor's appointments are. Just show up. You don't have to go in the room with me. Just five minutes in the waiting room because I'll be there like three hours waiting on my doctor. I mean, it just is what it is, right? Bring a meal. Don't ask me. Just do it. Pick my kids up from school. Take them to an event. Don't forget my caregiver. Take him out for coffee. The poor guy is running low on everything, including, you know, some comfort. So, you know, there's there's all kinds of tips that we can we can help. But we, I believe, as cancer patients, need to educate our support team. That was so beautifully said. Every single thing about that. I love that. I want to know if you're friends with the the group of women that you said sent that letter to that you had that conversation with. When I sent that letter, they must have been blown away. That was pretty brave. And it's in my book too. Um, I, yeah. When I sent that letter, <clears throat> the next time I was in the hospital, I had 39 visitors. Wow. That says it all right there. At any given time, there was nine or 10 people in my room. Yeah. I love that so much. Voices of Cancer by Linda Walters is available online at Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble, and Mascot Books. You definitely want to check it out. Linda, before you go, we always like to ask our guests for a thriving tip, which is just a little nugget of goodness. You've given us so much, but do you have one thriving tip, something that you do every single day to help elevate yourself? Just be grateful for everything, every day, every minute. It really is a gift. Dara, you and I need to figure out how to promote um, some of these sayings because you had commented about how, how how you needed to educate 
people in your support circle. And I just remember somebody a long time ago, back when I was, I don't know, early, early in my diagnosis, and they sent me this card and it was something like, uh, I don't know, when life gives you lemons, I won't tell you a story about my cousin's uncle who died from lemons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And you're right. So it's it's a big challenge to educate your support group on how to communicate and how to understand. It's perfectly okay to admit that you are speechless and without words and just sit next to the person that's your friend. And that's really okay. So, Linda, I, I want to share with you how, how impressed I am. And I think Dara and I, we were excited to have you on the podcast because we live very similar lives. We've had, I don't want to say parallel paths, but there are a lot of similarities in in all three of our stories. And Dara knows this, that I say this all the time. And it's, you know, what's the, you know, because we've all been, we've all had this diagnosis. We've all had really shitty things that we've had to deal with. And it's, it's what's the worst that could happen, right? Because we've already faced the worst. And even if we haven't gotten to the worst, we know what the worst looks like. And it makes, there's such a freedom in asking yourself that and being able to live an incredibly interesting life after you've asked that question. Thank you so much for being here, Linda. We have no doubt that you're going to keep shining your bright light on the world. Check out her book, Voices of Cancer. I think you'll be really glad you did. Of course, all the links are in our show notes. Thanks for listening. Thrive is created with the hope that we help you develop motivation and inspiration to make your life remarkable. You can find out more about me at napkinnotesdad.com. I invite you to get my free audio download, Reclaim Your Life at crazyperfectlife.com with tips and tools to help you feel your best. It would mean so much to us if you shared this with your friends and family and left us a review on iTunes. Remember, you deserve to thrive. Thrive Podcast is copyrighted by Dara and Garth.